With no further ado, take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to 1 Peter, chapter 4, and verses 7 through 11. 1 Peter, chapter 4. I'm going to be doing something a little bit different today in that I'm going to be showing a video clip about midway through the message. And the video clip's about six minutes long. Attention spans of teenagers in the year 2000 was 12 seconds. In the year 2019, guess what the attention span of a teenager today is? Eight seconds. Guess what the attention span of a goldfish is? Nine seconds. This is not dissing teenagers, this is science, okay? This is science. And we're gonna be talking a little bit about how we're communicating, how we're relating. I really am looking out at the church today. My heart really goes out for God to really minister to us and through us, but to other people as they come in amongst us. And one of the things that I'm gonna to be touching on today is being gener uh, generationally diverse generationally diverse generationally diverse right i mean as christians we're like we we believe the bible in acts 70 is god's made one blood of all nations we believe there's neither male nor female jew nor gentile we're all one in christ we've got that down but generations i think we don't really have down it would be almost as different as going to another country and you don't talk to that person because you're like, I don't understand your culture. You speak a different language. Sometimes when you speak to someone 20 years older or 20 years younger, depending on which way you're going, they speak a different language. They have a different prism to which they look at things with. And the topic that I'm going to be talking about today is hospitality, being hospitable. I'm not saying this uh, in a guilt or a shame fashion at all, but it's been our experience in ministry that it's expected for the pastor, the pastor's wife, to be hospitable. But the hospitality doesn't seem to go much further a lot of times. Now, there might be, you know, an occasional meet and greet here and there, but I'm talking about like a genuine, we really want to spend time together. And I'm calling this not just, this is doing church, right? Okay, Sunday, let's do church. But this is called being the church in the sense that you organically have someone go out with you, whether it be to a restaurant or to your house, but you do life together and you're being life together. And guess what? Church happens outside of the church walls, Sunday morning, worship hour, 10, four to five, <laughs> right? So church kind of, you know how... Flowers will grow up from sidewalks and concrete. Sometimes the life, you know, as we have our schedules and our life and our, our, our responsibilities, it's, it's really hard to, to be life as we're doing life. But I'm trying to think and encourage people, let's think outside the box, inside of Christ, and perhaps leave the box, the building, and look for ways to be the church where flowers could grow up through our busy concrete lives. But you have to be on purpose. 
this this is a buzzword that I've been using in my own life. Intentional. You have to be intentional about this. It's not just going to happen. You might have to be proactive and say, you know what? What are you doing next week? You know what? Um, how does dinner sound? You know what? I don't have your phone number. Well, let, let, me, let me get that really quick. All right? And so I'm good. we're going to be looking at a video here shortly. And the video, I, I can't endorse all of it. You know, like I'm, my name's Neil, and I approve this muffin, or I approve this message. Um, I can't totally endorse it as if it's my campaign, but I think that the content will be helpful in helping us to relate to the 21st century because the church is made up of males and females, all cultural backgrounds, but of all generations. But the current generation in which we live in is making things not easier. I'll, I'll give you something. Um, 20 years ago, they were saying that if you were to get hurt and injured, if you had five emergency contacts, good close people, not relatives, people that you know, um, could you list them? 20 years ago, people could list five. Same question asked today. You know how many people could list any? Number one answer, zero. And I think it's weird that we live in the most connected day in which we've ever lived, yet we're the loneliest. We have zero people that we could put as a close friend, as a contact that you could call if something were to happen. Now that may not apply to a church setting, okay? These are just... These are stats run from the world. This is the world in which we live. The church ought to be different in that they know us by our love for one another. And part of connecting our love to one another is hospitality. Being hospitable. Being open. Being available. Being willing to have someone come over. Being willing to get into someone's life and to invite someone into your life and to do life and to be life together. Getting to know someone outside church right? Being people, being normal people outside of church, that's being the church. Because look, doing church on Sunday, that's kind of a routine thing, and it's good, it's necessary, it's important, you need it, I need it. That's, we exercise our spiritual gifts, we come together, there's a word, there's a song, and we glorify Christ in this, and we try to invite people into our experience. But because Christ goes with you when you leave church, church also goes with you. Right? You are the holy temple of the Lord. You are the holy place where he dwells. He forgave you to fill you, and when we live from his life, we express his holy life. So I'd like to encourage you to read this with me. Thank heaven for verses 7 through 11. But the end of all things is at hand. Hey, that's encouraging. Woo, Amen. <laughs> but I would say this heaven's a place everyone wants to go to but not yet uh, no, don't come back Jesus I've got a lot of things I need to accomplish I really want Jesus to come back I do right this is the blessed hope so but the end of but we don't think so it's almost like we're we're in the Sodom and Gomorrah generation or uh, you know where, where Jesus speaks about that in Luke 17 Luke 21 Matthew 24 where he says 
It's like the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, people are buying and selling. They're giving in marriage, and it's business as usual. And he says, if you would have known what the thief would have come, you would have locked your doors. But he comes in an hour that you do not know. We're thinking like, hey, things going to go as it's going to go. Uh, you know, Sarah, Sarah. But he's saying 2,000 years ago, the end, of, the end is at hand. I say bring it on. I, I can't wait for that, that ball to get rolling. Let's get it going, right? Therefore, be serious and watchful um, in your prayers. And look at what he says. And above all, most important thing here, and above all, have fervent. This is where we get the word zeal, red hot. Have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. You know what love does? Love doesn't expose Love just kind of shelters. Love kind of comes alongside. Love doesn't guilt. <coughs> love graces. Love doesn't say shame on you. Love says shame off you. That's what love does. That's what a church full of lovers that are connected to the infinite, unlosable, unconditional lover, God, they receive his love and then they release his love. This is, a, this is our dialogue. This is our dynamic that we have with God. So he says, above everything else, have this be your hallmark, your zenith, your apex, your identity, because love will cover a multitude of sins. And then connected to that, kind of its, its brother, its sister to love, is being hospitable. Almost like the hospitality is almost the verb. It's the actionable part of love. It's love being seen and manifested. So he says, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Oh have to go out to lunch oh I have to be nice oh I have to talk to them oh I have to do this he's saying be hospitable but I think if we're genuinely receiving God's love and we're genuinely looking for ways to release God's love this is not a duty this is a delight this isn't more like a grumbling this is kind of like a a rumbling let's get going <laughs> that doesn't make any sense um, so he says as each one has received a gift, and we all have the gift of the Holy Spirit, and he came, he came fully loaded, and he's imparted to you and imparted to me some gifts. Um, he says, minister it to one to another. And the idea of minister is just a towel on the arm like a waiter. It's a servant. Um, it's, it's what Jesus said. He said, I didn't come to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give my life a ransom. So um, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ, ministering one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God, called Grace Baptist Church. Yeah? It's on the, it's on the sign, <laughs> right? Grace Baptist Church. And he says, above everything, love. Love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable entertain people have them over get involved in their lives you've been gifted you have some gifts look for ways not to get but look for ways to give right you have everything because you have christ look for ways to release his life to experience his life and to express his life in genuine community with others if anyone speaks let him speak as the word of God, the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let them do it with the ability which God supplies. Right? You don't got to manufacture it. 
God, God has supplied you and he's entrusted you to be a good steward of his life and his love and his life as a resource living in you. Uh, you know, Peter also says you've been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. Chapter, Second Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Read it. He's like, you've been given everything that pertains to life because you've been given Christ. So he says, we could do this. We could minister one to another to God's glory at the end of this, that, that, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. You know what this sounds like to me? This sounds like, okay, God had a bride in mind, and that bride's the church, and I'm looking at the bride. It's made up of males and females, younger and old. We make up the bride of Christ, and he wanted to love us so much that, that he would be glorified in and through the expressed person of him, through his church, through his bride, and he says that one of the good ways to do that above everything, love and be hospitable, right? So, look, church is a lot bigger than just like, you know, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, three to thrive, three to thrive. I don't know how many times I heard that in church. It takes three to thrive, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Um, I, it's just much more than coming and gathering information. We are in information overload era. Like, I was telling my wife the other day, uh, I've just been running, I like stats. I like graphs, charts. I like uh, um, just data. I, I just like that kind of stuff. And this guy was running some, some historical stats on how many people can you... Um, emotionally and psychologically maintain in a relationship and he says we peaked out at 150 and he only went back to the, the time of the Roman Empire he says you can't effectively maintain a relationship over 150 people I thought that's interesting it's hard to maintain a relationship with four people in your own house you know what I mean so busy and I mean let alone a church family if you think about that but you know how many, how many friends people have on Facebook and social media? Hundreds, right? And you, I'm just thinking, like, when, is it, when does it become real? I'll tell you when it becomes real right now. You're looking at the people that you could be real with. I'm just saying today, my encouragement is, okay, I'm not going to bash social media. It has its proper uses, and, and technology has its proper uses. But something good to encourage us with is be hospitable one uh, towards another. I've been really rambling. Did I, have I prayed? Who cares? Heavenly, Heavenly Father, I just pray that you'd speak to hearts, connect the dots, uh, work from the inside out, Lord Jesus. And I know you work through grace and comfort and um, encouragement and I pray, Lord, I know it's your desire that we love one another and that we're hospitable one towards another. And maybe inspire us today with maybe getting out of a routine or something we've always done or maybe that we could get our eyes off of something else onto someone else. I don't know, Lord. I just trust that you'll do what you're going to do with us, your people. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's look at a definition. Hospitality. 
So the noun version of it, the, the friendly and generous reception and entertainment of guests, visitors, or strangers. Um, the adjective part of it relating to or denoting the business of housing or entertaining visitors. Isn't it funny? I was trying to find this bit. It was from a comedian, and I don't remember who it was. I thought it was Tim Hawkins. Have you guys ever seen Tim Hawkins? Funny Christian comedian. I would, he's clean, relevant, funny Tim Hawkins. We need to have a Tim Hawkins night. I mean, you would just roar as he makes fun of us as Christians, and it's funny, it's clean. Uh, but I believe he was doing a bit, babe, you would maybe remember, where the pizza man comes to the door, right? And he forgot you ordered pizza, but he's coming to deliver the pizza, and you hear the knock on the door, and it's like everyone you know, gets low and like, who's that? What? Uh, you know, you're thinking, is the Taliban here? Is, is it terrorism? Um, and he was going on and on and making it really comical because no one really goes to anyone's house anymore. Even if you called the pizza man to deliver the pizza, you're still shocked when he shows up. You think it's like a hostage negotiation transfer. All right, you know, you try to give the money and try to get the pizza at the same time and then quickly shut the door. Um, I know that's kind of a, 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 an over-dramatization of that, but really, I mean, I'm looking at some multi-generational people in here. There's been different times when, you know, I remember signs, and I'm, you know, I was I, born in the early 70s, 72, but I remember, uh, sorry, we're closed, call again. Remember when calling wasn't calling on the phone? It was actually making a visit. That's what the word call meant. Well, I'm gonna, I'll call on you later. It meant you were going to go to their house, right? If you go to someone's house without calling them today, um, that's an insult, right? What are you doing here, you know? <laughs> it's just kind of it's funny. I read a quote, and I heard a quote the other day where the guy said this. When our phones had leashes, we were free. Now that our phones are free, we have leashes. Holy cow. Did you hear that? When our phones had leashes, we were free. You remember? Mom and dad are in the kitchen. I got to talk to my friends. And the cord, you know, the long stringy cord. And I remember when we got like a 20-footer. And you could go and like maybe go around the corner and, and you've got some privacy. Okay, yeah. Uh-huh. But then your mom or dad could pick up the other phone that had a cord and hair. So you had to really be incognito when your phone had leashes. But guess what? Okay, man, I'll see you later. You hung up. You left that house without a leash. You were free. <laughs> I remember my parents said, all right, uh, be home before dark. When I was little, you know. Bikes, BB guns, forts, sports, neighborhood uh, hide-and-go-seek, everything was outdoors. Everything was outdoors. I was free. Kids, I, this is not a diss, this is an observation. They're less free today, even though they seem more free. In fact, their phones um, don't have leashes, but they're leashed to their phone. You could track your kids on their phone. I mean, they could. The, everything's at the, in their hands today with the smartphone, and I'll be talking about that a little bit because it's the culture in which we live and it's affecting our communication and it's affecting our hospitality. That's why I'm bringing it up.
not bashing technology. It could be used for good and evil. Um, we're using it for good right now, you know, hopefully. So my application and my challenge to us is let's be a hospitable church to each other and to the community in which we live. This was placed on my desk. I don't know how it got there, Julene. I don't know <laughs> if it was you or someone else. It was placed on my desk, and it must have been a while ago because it was stacked under some other stuff, and I was just going through some stuff. And it looks like an old font. Um, but the, the title was this. I'll show it to you. It's up on the screen here. Characteristics of a Welcoming Church. And I don't know if you could read that. It's a little bit small. But there was 11 characteristics of a welcoming church. I did not write this. I'm just re rewriting it or requoting it. Number one, the stand and greet time, friendly or unfriendly. I think we're pretty friendly church, pretty good, right? People mingle and stuff like that. Um, individual church members, friendly or unfriendly. Common thing that you'll hear throughout churches, you know, when people go to church and they visit, like, they either say it's a friendly church or an unfriendly church, and a lot of times when they think it's unfriendly, it's because people form cliques, and they only talk to the people that they're used to talking to, right? And they don't, they don't welcome new people, they're not hospitable, they would never even think about inviting that new person that's come for a couple weeks out to lunch, they'll go out to lunch with the same people they always go out to lunch with, right? So that's kind of the idea there. Children's areas and classrooms, safe, clean, friendly. Um, I think we're doing a great job on updating all of that stuff. Uh, general information about the church, the information center. Did you see our information center in the front? Man, there's like Kirkland granola bars, there's donuts and coffee, and there's information and friendly people. We're killing it in the um, information center. Oh, yeah. Okay. Footprint or no, uh, number five, media presence, um, website. And we're updating that. We're working on that. That's in progress and it's been updated. It's being changed, but it's going to go through another update and just kind of more user friendly, more uh, relevant with pictures and stuff like that. Uh, footprint in our community, clear or not. I think we're establishing a footprint. I love going to the park. I love that we're doing this uh, trunk or treat thing. Um, I love uh, Maddie's idea for outreach, which is she wants to gather, can I tell him a little bit, prep him? She wants to make some baskets and take it to the convalescent home um, and put invitations and stuff like that, and make some baskets and take them over and have an outreach to the seasoned saints. Um, directional signs and premises such as restrooms, clearly signed or not. Um, you know, I think we, ours are faded a little bit, you know, a little bit. Um, but they're, they're there. Uh, atmosphere of service, exciting, lively, or boring. I'll let you be the judge of that. Personal communication, language used, is it clear to all or cliquish? Um, you know, that could come from the pulpit and the pew. You could kind of evaluate your own situation. Seating arrangement and service, open or limited, pretty open. Um, overall condition, the facilities, grounds, such as parking, not clean, sanitary, clear or not. So, uh, we, and we're working on that. You know, there's going to be a work day, and I think people are a little bit more conscious about that. And it's sad to say, but in this day and age for church, the goal is not to get people to church, it's to get them to Christ. But sometimes people will drive by a building just because aesthetically it doesn't. How many times have you driven by a restaurant? And you're like, uh-uh, I ain't eating there. 
come to find out it's the best place in town, right? <laughs> that rundown greasy spoon. Jen and I were just at Belmont last night and uh, we went through a place and it was packed, but we ate there a month ago because the building looked cool and it was the worst food ever. That's the opposite, right? It was terrible. And she's like, oh, why are people there? That was terrible. And I'm like, I know. Suckers, you know, like you thought the building looked cool, so the food was going to be good. Joke's on you. <laughs> so the opposite could be true as well. Um, but just some food for thought for us as Grace Baptist Church. But here's where I want to change gears a little bit. <clears throat> so there's challenges that we're going to face if we're going to be hospitable and impact our community for Christ. One of the things I think we need to be aware of is the impact of social media and generational divides and distinctions. And let me kind of break it down to you this way. I don't know if I have it on the screen, but I'll just read it to you. The first generation I want to talk to you about are those people born in the 30s and 40s and maybe a little bit before, maybe a little bit after. Not much after, but uh, like during the Depression and born during uh, World War II. This generation, you don't have to raise your hand. We know who you are anyways. You don't have to raise your hand, but they're called, that generation is called the builders. Builders. Work ethic. Um, they went through the Depression. These are the type of people, if you have parents that were of that generation, you might be of that generation. Maybe your grandparents, they save everything, right? They have a huge bag of uh, rubber bands because you never know when you're going to need them, right? Huge bag of rubber bands. They always turn the light off, right? Save power. I mean, they, think about it. Uh, open a can uh, of green beans, use the can, maybe wash out the can and save the can. You never know when you're going to need it, right? Builders. Great generation. Great generation. Everyone could learn from the builders. The one that came after them, um, baby boomers, right? Baby boomers. These are 1950s, uh, 60s. Um, a uh, little bit in the, in the later 40s, uh, born, you know, right during or s shortly after World War II. Interesting with the baby boomers is during their generation, that span, there was some 80 million new births in that generation. <clears throat> the most we've ever seen, I think it's people coming back from war, victory, patriotism, out of the Great Depression, economies kind of on the upswing. There's a lot of things that you could evaluate and see. There's the baby boomers. The generation that came after that would be my generation called uh, Generation X or Baby Busters. <laughs> 40 million less people born in my generation than in the baby boomers. 40 million less. That's quite a bit. Could be because that was also the introduction of Roe versus Wade. And also, which was 73. I'm like, I just, I just missed, I was born in 72, um, might not have been here. Um, and then the, also the invention of the birth control pill. So you could see with that as well, the, the half decline, 40 million decline in that generation. But think about what that generation went through. They went through scandals. Um, they went through, they're born in the late 60s, 70s and 80s. They went through you know, uh, Watergate, um, the Reagan, you know, Gorbachev kicked that wall down. And of course, the, the boomers went through Vietnam, uh, you know, things of that nature. Uh, then there was JFK. And then later on, then there was um, 
uh, Watergate and just scandal. And so a lot of the people from the, the Generation X is what they're called, uh, my generation. Um, the baby boomers, they're kind of, their theme is like the bottom line. Just give me the bottom line. Just give me the bottom line, right? Well, just give me the bottom line. And this is a narrative that you could change around, but just kind of the same. And I think um, with the baby boom or the baby busters, Generation X, my generation, keep it real. I want a lot of fluff. Just keep it real. You know, be sincere. Uh, you don't got to, you know, so much scandal, so much this and that. Just cut, you know, keep it real. Um, then you're moving on to people in today's generation which should be from the ages of 18 to 35. Now, this is not, I'm not dissing any generation. I am just observing a generation. This would be the millennials, Generation Y, and they're like, keep it interactive. Keep it interactive. And so, uh, for them, uh, you know, attention uh, is, a, is a big thing, um, but they, they want to be heard, they want to voice their opinion, uh, so on and so forth. And then the next generation is Screen Babies, Generation Z. These are the ones that were born in the 2000s. Theirs is Keep It Short. Remember the attention span I was telling you about? Keep It Span. But it's interesting that the, that the kids born in the 2000s, right? And this, the, our kids, they're called Screen Babies. And it's not a bad thing. It's just their reality. That's their thing. That wasn't my thing. And my thing, you know who the remote control was in the house? Me. Neil, go for it. You know, there was like Channel 10, Channel 4, and Channel 5. They were like the ABC, NBC, CBS. Neil, go change it. And they had the big dial, you know? I was a remote control. And um, so, but today, uh, screen babies, I mean, they have everything you could think of in front of their face from the time they're born. I want to show you something here um, in a little bit. But a guy that studied the, this whole thing, uh, the evolution of media and the impact on how we consume, curate, and communicate in the community, he came up with this thing called Scene. And I think it's going to be on the screen. Is it? Or do I have the video next? Scene. And uh, this is not psychology. This is sociology. And he's saying if we're going to relate to the 21st century scene, we have to understand if we're to take these letters scene, this is kind of how we're going to have to relate. S, speed. And because we're in an era where it's high-speed internet, it's uh, cars are faster, uh, everything fast, food lines and drive-through, everything speed, speed, speed. So you're, if something's slow, then that could be interpreted as bad. But he went on to say, well, Good marriages happen slow, right? A lot of good things happen slow. An oak tree grows slow. Convenience, you could interpret that as hard as bad. Entertainment, boring as bad. Nurture, risk is bad. Entitlement, uh, labor is bad. And so you think slow, hard, boring, risk, labor. These are all the things that the previous generations all knew and all grew up with. And that's kind of a backbone of each preceding generation other than the one we live in now. So this isn't a bad thing. This is, this is helping us to have emotional intelligence so that we could relate to other generations and we could say, all right, this is where we're at. Let's work through this. Let's work together. 
Let's help one another. And my theme for today is, you know how you're going to get to know someone? You know how you're going to get to get someone from doing this to doing this? Be hospitable. Hospitality. So let's take a moment. It's going gonna, it's gonna to take about five minutes, but let's show the video if we could. And uh, maybe someone can help me with the lights um, over there. The tycoons of social media have to stop pretending that they're friendly nerd gods building a better world and admit they're just tobacco farmers in t-shirts selling an addictive product to children. Because let's face it, checking your likes is the new smoking. Philip Morris just wanted your lungs. The App Store wants your soul. There are 2 billion people, more than 2 billion people on Facebook. That's more than the number, it's about the number of notional followers of Christianity. People check their phones 150 times a day, the millennial sort of audience. And so if you think about it, from the moment you wake up, it's like you're jacked in to this environment. And thoughts start streaming into your head, designed by a few technology companies. What we find is the typical person checks their phone every 15 minutes or less, and half of the time they check their phone, there's no alert, no notification. It's coming from inside their head telling them, gee, I haven't checked in Facebook in a while. I haven't checked on this Twitter feed for a while. I wonder if somebody commented on my Instagram post. That then generates cortisol, and it starts to make you anxious, and eventually your goal is to get rid of that anxiety, so you check in. And apparently we feel stressed when we can't get our phone or when our battery is about to die. You probably know this feeling. And a research done in Australia among 3,000 people under the age of 30 found that 9 out of every 10 admit to feel this anxiety while having his battery dying. Steve Jobs revolutionized the entire world with the iPhone. And he never let his children use it. Because he did not want them dependent on technology. Right now an infant is getting their first laptop that's soft and squishy and makes noise. Right now a child is being born online and being favorited and retweeted. The hypergenerational segregation of our time is bizarre, unhealthy, and historically unprecedented. You've never seen the like of people sitting at a table in a restaurant not talking to each other because they're texting and using their Facebook and, and Instagram and Twitter and they are, they are at the table and don't even know each other in the house and can't even talk to each other and and the pressure that's on us to be like everybody else is so great that everybody tries to live like they're in a reality show as a culture we don't have enough in common anymore and that's because the internet which was supposed to unite the world has become too adept at serving us personalized content do you know what i saw on yahoo's front page this morning no, you don't, because mine isn't the same as yours. People get news feeds now that just spit back customized stories based on what we've clicked on in the past. We are great consumers, but poor producers. 
we will buy what we can't afford with money that we don't have to impress people we don't even know trying to be like everybody else get off of Facebook and put your face in a book right now a teenager is photoshopping their selfie because as a society we're telling them they're not good enough right now influencers encourage narcissism without knowing the breadth and depth of their impact on their audiences right now 40,000 spectators are in an Olympic football arena watching a competitive esports competition because this is this generation's football match there's always this narrative that technology is neutral and it's up to us to choose how we use it this is just not true Technology is not neutral. It's not neutral. They want you to use it in particular ways and for long periods of time because that's how they make their money. You don't realize it, but you are being programmed. It was unintentional, but now you got to decide how much you're willing to give up, how much of your intellectual independence. If you feed the beast, that beast will destroy you. If you push back on it, we have a chance to control it and rein it in. And it is a point in time where people need to hard break from some of these tools and the things that you rely on. The short-term dopamine-driven feedback loops that we have created are destroying how society works. No civil discourse, no cooperation, misinformation, mistruth. And it's not an American problem. This is not about Russian ads. This is a global problem. I challenge everyone to try going one week without social media. Don't let your phone and social media control you. Sorry about the interlude, but not really sorry. I think, I think we need to be aware. This is the 21st century in which we live. So whether you like it or not, you're going to have to face this as a social issue contemporary to our time. Thanks, Helen. I should have turned that on. I'm sorry. So whether we like it or not, it's, it's the culture in which we live. And it could be a tremendous blessing, and it could be a tremendous curse. Uh, but I think we need to be emotionally intelligent about how to relate. Because what can happen is if we, like the people on the screen that you saw, they're at a dinner table, but they're not talking to the people in front of them. They're talking to other people that they'll probably never even see face-to-face -face electronically. And so um, I would challenge us to, when you go to dinner or go out to dinner, or have dinner with your family, that make it a no phone zone, make it a no phone zone. I would challenge you too, to when you'd have people over to your house, um, or go out to lunch, as we're talking about hospitality today, make it a no phone time. Make it like, just make it about the, that, that interaction and that relationship building time that you have before you, right? Look, when asked, are people more happy or less happy today? even though they're more connected, guess what? It's obvious. They're less happy. 
they have more anxiety and more depression, even though they have more information and more social connectivity. It's faux, it's fake, it's not real. What really matters are the people that's in your life right now. So I want to uh, encourage us with a couple verses. Look with me, if you would, at Romans chapter 12. It'll be up on the screen. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 9. It says this, uh, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Hate what is evil. Cling to that which is good. That would be an easy, that would be easier said than done, right? Hate what's evil. Cling to that which is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. That's that phileo love. That's that kind of, um, you know, hey, let's, let's do something. And, and it's not your husband and wife love, even though it contains that. It's, it's, it's one another love. And honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Given to hospitality. So, I guess what I would say from this verse, have a millennial over for dinner, right? Have a Gen Xer over for dinner. That's my generation. Um, Gen Xer, have a, have a baby boomer over. You could learn a lot from the generation that's gone before you, right? Borrow their gray hairs um, if they have any, right? If, if they don't have any hair, then borrow a, a gray uh, beard hair, um, you know, listen to the stories, listen to the different times that they went through and learn from that. And you're going to learn that when you're hospitable, when you're exercising hospitality, you're going to learn that. And I think the church is so unique that we're made up of multi-generations and we have the awesome privilege to do life with one another and to be life to one another and to learn about life from one another. You know, and I didn't read it, but it's in 1 John chapter 2, and he says this, I write unto you little children, I write unto you young men, and I write unto you fathers. I think, I think John knew something about generational impact in the church. There needs to be little kids, need little kid ministries. There needs to be young men, there needs to be a lot of that energy and that lot of, like, passion. And there needs to be a lot of fathers and a lot of mothers in the church that could say, you know what, been down that road before, let me help you out. You know what? I know this seems rough, but you're going to get through it because God was faithful and he got me through it. So there needs to be fathers and mothers. There needs to be young men and young women. And there needs to be little children in the church. And God already addressed that in 1 John chapter uh, 2. Here Romans 16. Look at this verse on the screen. Be sure to welcome our friend uh, Phoebe in the way of the master with all generous hospitality we Christians are famous for. I think this is the message paraphrase version, but I liked it because it's saying um, also pointing out that there was a woman in the church that was a great minister of the Lord, had a great ministry for the Lord. And I heartily endorse both her and her work. She's a key representative of the church at Sincrea, but she had generous hospitality that we Christians are famous for. And my thing is this is let's be famous for being generationally diverse and hospitable let's be famous for that wouldn't that be cool you know you're going to benefit you and you're going to benefit others when you cross generational divides i remember when i first got saved my friends thought i was crazy uh, because i got saved later on uh in life 
Well, I was in my early 20s, but um, they thought, where are you going? Why don't you go to this party? Um, and I said, no, I'm done with that. I'm, I'm going to drive an hour out of my way to a Bible study when it was all retired people. I was like 20, and I was in a Bible study with you know, people in their late 60s, 70s, and 80s. And I had the greatest time, and I learned the most because these are the people that knew stuff that I didn't know. And uh, my friends didn't know anything. I didn't know squat. You know, I'm not going to learn anything from them. Um, so let's be famous for uh, being uh, generationally diverse and being hospitable. And then another verse, 3 John chapter 1, verse 5. Dear friend, when you extend hospitality to Christian brothers and sisters, even when they are strangers, you make the faith visible. I remember... Um, first church I was kind of apprenticing at uh, was in the Sierra Mountains in, um, in Aubrey, California, up there towards the Shaver Lake, if you know, well, Yosemite National Park, if you know where that's at. So I was up in the mountains. <clears throat> I had um, a beautiful single wide trailer with some property and a view. Okay, okay. Um, and I remember uh, the missionaries that would come through would always stay with me. And I didn't even know them. Or the guest speakers would stay with me and stuff like that. And uh, I always thought it was fun because I get to know, uh, I get to know, I was the assistant pastor, youth pastor. I was getting to know people and their journeys and their experiences and their habits and uh, all that kind of stuff. And that all came from um, uh, making hospitality or extending hospitality even to Christian strangers. And he says, when you do this, you make your faith visible. So people will know we're Christians by our love for one another, but they'll also see our faith uh, when we're hospitable towards one another. I'm going to throw up a quote that I threw up maybe a month ago. Um, Truett Cathy, the founder of um, uh, Chick-fil-A, he said this when asked, hey, we're getting beat out by the competition. There are more people are going to Boston Market and more people are eating over here. And uh, we need to make it, we need to get bigger. And he said this, when you make it better, the people will, I think he used the word demand, will demand for you to make it bigger, right? And I think this too, with the church, hey, we need the church to be bigger, right? We need the church to be bigger. Um, I remember back in the day when there was a lot more people or the church was bigger, and I remember that. And I re okay, I get it. Let's just kind of take this thought, though. Maybe if we make it better, maybe then the church will become bigger. And I'm thinking this, what can we make better? Today's topic is hospitality. Think about it. Why would God add a whole bunch of new people to the church if we're not even being hospi hospitable to the people that are already here in the church? See what I'm saying? Like, if people are going to come, how are we going to get to know them if we're not even getting to know each other? And I'm not saying this in a guilt or a shame way. I'm just saying, like, I think every church could get better, and I'm the only thinking of this one, in the area of hospitality. And I think once we get better in the area of hospitality and mingling with one another outside of church, uh, once that starts to take place, then I think we can get bigger. Here's what the early church did. Look at Acts chapter 2. 
Day after day, they continued steadfastly in one accord in the temple, and they were breaking bread together in their own homes, fellowship, hospitality. They continued to eat their food with gladness and an undivided heart. They were all on the same page. They all wanted the same thing. Yeah, they loved Jesus. Uh, they loved the church. Uh, they were praising God, and they looked favorable by all the people. Meanwhile, the Lord kept adding to them daily those that were being saved. And so what I'm saying is, they were hospitable, they were loving one another, and guess what? God's like, I'll add people to that. I'll add people to that. That's all I'm saying. Before we make it, before it gets bigger, maybe it needs to get better. And one of the ways that God said, well, that's, that's a good place to add to, is they were of one mind, they were of one purpose, they wanted to glorify God, they had all things in common, uh, they, were, they went from e- into each other's homes, that was very common for them, they were in each other's homes. And I'm not saying that if you do the early church model that that equals success, because they had a different culture, different time. You know, there's a lot of different dynamics there. But I think there's some takeaways um, that if we are in each other's lives and hospitable in each, in each other's homes, that if we're already doing that in a non-biased way, then God, when he adds other, not if, when God adds other people, they'll already be adding into the mix of a, hosp- of a hospitable place. Amen. Not a hostile place, or uh, but a hospitable. Kind of at the root word of that, hospital, where broken people show up and it's okay to bring in your wounds. You're welcome here. A hospital doesn't turn anyone away. Hospitable. Wouldn't that be awesome? Hey, just come with your, because we're a great, we're, what's the first name in our church? Oh, we're Grace Baptist Church, so we're going to grace you. Uh, come on in. Uh, you're welcome here. Uh, we are diverse in our love to all ages and all cultures. Come on in. The hospital doesn't discriminate. Come on in, because we want to be hospitable. So, in conclusion, wrap this baby up. Where I first started, 1 Peter 4.9. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. The verse before that, it was, um, and above all things, have fervent love one towards another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. And he says, use hospitality one to another. So just some concluding thoughts here. Number one, let's be a multi-generational church that loves one another and loves to be hospitable to one another. Number two, let's be aware of the 21st century and current culture in which we live. Look, I know it might have seemed like an, an anti-cell phone, an anti-social media pitch that I had. It's not. I think there's great uses for that. It needs to be put in its proper place. I think the technology is wonderful. You can, we have a church we, uh, Facebook page. You can make an announcement there, and everyone that's on it could see it, or you could send out postcards or a messenger pigeon, or a uh, email, or <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just a great platform to make announcements. That's what I like it. It's a great way to do that. So I'm not anti any of that stuff, but do you know the millions and millions and millions of dollars people are putting into research just to keep you on that feedback loop? They spend money on rats, the reward feedback loop cycle, and they know how your brain works. And the longer they could keep you on this, cha-ching, 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 because data 
is the new oil race. It's the new gold rush. If I could get you on this for longer, that's more data. That's more money. So what's the psychology behind? That's why gaming is such a big deal on phones. Because you get power up, level up, gold coin, cha-ching, cha-ching. And the same, th the same feedback, positive feedback loop they give to rats and they measure the dopamine and the dopamine is the same thing found in cigarettes and alcohol and sex. All of that stuff, that pleasure dome, they know what's going on in your brain. They have a lot more money than you do. And they're doing tests. And they know what you like. So they want you addicted to this thing. I'm okay. All right. All I'm saying is I'm not against the phone. I'm not against social media. But I want to be emotionally intelligent about what's going on. I want to use it for good, right? So I'm not anti. That would be, be like my dad. You know, like he hated everything new, right? <laughs> and I don't think that's the way to go either. Certain generations get stubborn and stuck in their way, and I don't want to do that. Uh, I want to be relatable and relevant, but I want to put it into perspective. So, hey, builders, we live in the 21st century. Everyone has a smartphone, right? Hey, baby boomers, you know, your generation invented it. Steve Jobs, he didn't even want his kids on it, right? Um, hey, Gen Xers, any people uh, in my category, you know, you could go either way. You could hate it or love it or be totally addicted and immersed into it. Um, hey, millennials, you could use it creatively, but don't. Be deceived in thinking that you're going to be the next viral found person because it's okay if success comes slow and work is hard, right? It doesn't have to be instant success because you fell off your bike and someone videoed it and now you've got a million followers on YouTube, right? It doesn't have to, right? That's not a diss. That's just the culture in which they live in. And What's the last culture? Gen Z, the last one. Where are we gonna go after Gen Z? Maybe they've like predicted that's gonna be the last generation. There's no more alphabet left, Gen Z. Um, there's hope for you guys. I thought it was interesting too, that Gen Z, that the, the kids under 18 right now, um, they're kind of called not only the screen babies, but kind of like they're in the helmet generation too, to where everything needs a helmet, a seat belt an airbag, right? Um, and so uh, with all of their fears and anxieties, it's interesting when, uh, when this current uh, class of high schoolers had been interviewed, the number one job that they were seeking for, 72% of them said they wanna be an entrepreneur, which I think is interesting because in a no-risk generation, which would be the classified as their generation because they're afraid they're not going to get a job, afraid they're not going to get accepted to college, they're afraid. The majority of them want to be entrepreneurs. So I'm saying this in hope. I believe in you guys. Christ in you, through you, you could do whatever. And I'm going to say this. I have hope for our, this church too. Christ in us, through us, we could be a hospitable, loving church and be famous for it, right? But you have to do it. Here's my buzzword. Be intentional. Be intentional. So my last challenge, use your smartphone in a smart way and get a number of someone who you do not have currently in your phone 
And maybe, I don't have to, uh, you know, that would be grudgingly, use hospitality without grudging. <laughs> but maybe have them over or take them out in the next two weeks. I'm proud to say this, I had to decline because my wife has a work thing, but we were invited after church today to someone's house. And I'm not going to mention who it is because we're going next week, but I thank you. And you might be thinking, yes, this message totally doesn't relate to me because <laughs> before I knew about that, I already was having someone over. But it would be nice to make it a habit and a thing to like be the church outside the church and see life come through, right? In an organic, authentic way as we're just inviting people into our life. Let's stand and be dismissed. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to come to church and for the privilege of looking for opportunities to be the church. As we go, Lord, help us to be famous for our hospitality. Help us to be known for our love for one another and that others might be attracted to that and attracted to you as a result of that. I pray that for me, my family, and this church. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.